You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, this is Carl. And I'm Mindy. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Earn and Invest podcast. podcast. I remember it clearly as a kid. My stepfather and I would go to one of his rental apartments and we would do stuff. He would fix the driveway or redo the electrical or even we got into the plumbing. And when I say we, it's a little bit of an exaggeration because usually I would sit in the corner with my head in the cloud daydreaming and he would do most of the work. So when I became an adult and bought my first house, I wasn't opposed to doing some things on my own. We painted almost every room. I remember spending a full day where I went around to every door in the house, took the locks apart, cleaned them and fixed them and put them back in. But when it came to the big jobs, the kitchen or the bathroom, I have to say that I never really had the confidence. And it always amazed me that there were people out there who would do it themselves. And yet there are some people who buy a property, fix it up by themselves while living there, and then sell it for a profit. These so-called live-in flips might not be for me, but they could just be exactly what you are looking for. Carl and Mindy are the dynamic duo behind the blog 1500 Days Till Freedom. She is the co-host of the beloved Bigger Pockets Money podcast, and he has an unnatural infatuation with toy dinosaurs. Carl and Mindy, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. And we're in the middle of a live-in flip right now, so if you want to learn anything, we're going to be doing it soon. I've been watching your YouTube videos, and I know actually for the last decade or two, you guys have been in the middle of these live-in flips. So before we get to that, Carl, I have to ask, most importantly, I think of all of my questions, tell us a little bit about some of the treasure you found while doing demolition (laughs) on your newest live-in flip. This this is like the most pressing question of the interview. Yeah, you never know what what you're going to find once you start digging into an old home. The one we're working on right now, this home was about 40 years old, and I started taking apart a suspended ceiling because I knew there there was plumbing above that that I needed to get access to. So I I took off one of the ceiling panels and something slid out and hit me in the face. I'm like, what the heck is this? I was worried about (laughs) mouse poop, which there was a lot of that up, but I wasn't expecting much else. 
uh, beyond the mouse poop. So I, I looked down and it's a adult magazine, a, a pornographic magazine. So I'm like, oh my God, I've never found anything like this before. I grabbed my flashlight and there were there was a bunch of marijuana paraphernalia up there. Uh, there, And then there were handcuffs and some movies, a whole bunch of interesting movies. The handcuffs were fuzzy too, by the way. Since uh, <laughs> <laughs> throwing them out. But uh, yeah, we found a whole bunch of secret possessions from the previous owner and mouse poop on to add insult to injury. And trading cards. Oh yeah, trading cards. So I didn't know that. If you're a performer in the adult film industry, that you have trading cards, just like baseball cards. So, uh, not just like baseball cards. Yeah, a little bit different than baseball cards, but we got a yeah. We, so now we can collect those, I guess. We're What's just, your address, Doc? Well, uh, <laughs> you get, you'll, you'll send me some stuff I'll over. Mail you, you, stuff. you know, it sounds to me like of all the places to put your stash, isn't that a little hard to get to? I mean, like you're getting in the mood. You're like, honey, wait one second. Let me get the ladder and break into the ceiling there to pull the stuff out. Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. I don't know if this guy's spouse knew about it or uh, what their deal was, and I don't really want to know either. It's all gone. (laughs) (laughs) All kidding aside, Mindy, when did you guys just start to do this live and flip stuff? This is not your first go at this rodeo. I started back when I was poor, and I was renting an apartment. I took over a lease for a friend. And at the end of the lease, I'm like, this is stupid. I'm throwing away my money. I need to buy a house. But I didn't have any money to buy a house with. So I found a very unattractive, hideous house that I bought. And I was like, well, I can paint. I can replace the floor. I can you know, do a different thing here or there and make it look nicer. And when I sold it because I married him and he had an actual house, mine was a condo, I sold it for 50% more than I bought it for. And I thought, well, I really want to do that again. I like making 50% on four years of basically nothing. I, I, I ended up living for free because all the money that I made from the sale kind of wiped out all of the money that I paid to my mortgage and to the homeowners association when I was living there. Carl, now what Mindy was just talking about seemed fairly cosmetic, right? Pretty much anyone can figure out eventually how to paint and do that type of stuff. As I've watched some of your videos and read your blog posts about some of the things you've done in your live-in flips, none of it sounds pedestrian, or certainly most of it doesn't. Was there a little imposter syndrome, Carl, when you first started doing this? Like, Did you have the confidence to go grapple with the big projects? Yeah, I I did not have the confidence at all. Mindy and I both kind of were white-collar people. Even though my dad was in the trades, I never wanted to learn from him. So was resistant, unfortunately. So I guess my first story is by tub faucet was leaking. And like anyone else, I'm just like, ah, you know, let's just uh, call plumbers. So I called my friend. He gave me a recommendation. The plumber came over and said, hey, this is going to be like 125 bucks. I'll be over tomorrow. So I'm like, great, done. So tomorrow came. He didn't show up. I called him. He never called me back. Uh, and then like three or four days later, I still hadn't heard from this guy. And I was pretty mad. I, I'm offering to pay you cash to come do this. And you can't even have the courtesy to call me back. So I went to the library. This is before YouTube youngsters and got a book about plumbing. And I opened this thing up and it said, okay, you can go to your big box store and get these two little gasket things. Here's how to take it apart, put them in. And then you're done. It shouldn't leak anymore. So I did that. And I think it was like a dollar or two worth of parts. It was less than $5. I went home. I did it. 
like, wow, that actually wasn't that hard. I was terrified to bust this thing open. But after that, I'm like, wow, this is interesting. I thought this would be very difficult, but it wasn't. So that kind of gave us confidence to try other things. And we started swapping out toilets. We did more tile jobs. And I worked my way up to, I just wired my basement and uh, I do all the plumbing myself, just about anything, except drywall. I cut the line there. The good news is for anyone who aspires to do this, you have the best source of information in the world now. And YouTube, for anything you would want to do, there is a video out there that'll teach you how, how to do the job. Carl, I was following you. You said gaskets, tile, drywall. What's this library thing you're talking about? <laughs> Come on, Doc. <laughs> it's a big building where they have these things made out of old dead trees called books. And these books have information. And really, I've, geez, I, I replumbed my house based on one book. I still prefer books over YouTube because of an old fart. But yeah, and I just wired my basement off reading a book every every night for a couple of weeks. You have to be careful with this. Don't don't electrocute yourself. Take extreme precaution. But only information is out there. The hardest part is getting over your fear. That's that's really the hardest part. And trying, it's not that hard. You just have to go slow the first time. But you can do it. So, Mindy, it sounds like you mentioned the economic necessity, which is why you ended up. DIYing and doing some of the flip of your first condo. And Carl mentioned the hassle factor, right? You call the contractor and they never show. Tell me a little more about the why of do it yourself and flipping. Like, what are the other reasons? I really love going into an old house, 1960s, 1970s, it hasn't been updated since the 1980s, and seeing what they had before and how we can make that better. It's really fun to play around with layouts in your head and play around with ideas and, oh, what if we did this? And what if we could do that? And that all sounds like beautiful, but I really love cashing a big fat check when I move and paying $0 to Uncle Sam for taxes. Yeah, that's my favorite part. Yeah. Well, tell us more about that, Carl. How economically advantageous is doing a live and flip? Yeah, it's a huge, the benefit is huge. A lot of people want to be homeowners anyway. So instead of buying a nice home in an okay neighborhood, why don't you pick out a, a, the worst home you can find in the best neighborhood that you can afford? The great thing is the IRS has a rule. It's called the two out of five year rule, where if you've lived in a home two of the past five years and owned it, and when I say own, you can have a mortgage on it too. So if you've owned the home for two of the past five years as well, you can write off, you can deduct up to 250000 in taxes if you're single or $500,000 if you're a married couple. And I is deduct the right word? What I mean is you can have that much in profit and pay zero taxes on it. So we've come away from a lot of these houses making well over $100,000 and all that money just goes directly into our pocket. And what did we give up? We gave up watching zombie TV shows for a couple nights a week or on weekends or whatever people do. They were intense. Don't get me wrong. We, I remember we both had full-time jobs. We'd be up till midnight and we felt like zombies ourselves actually sometimes. But when you get that big check at the end, all, those, all that pain disappears into the background noise. Mindy, you guys have mentioned that when it comes to sale time, and you sell the house, you can make a lot of money on your own improvements. But one thing I've noticed, I was watching your videos and some of your pictures of the recent 
deck and pergola you guys did. And these are some pretty stylized upgrades. Where did you guys learn how to design like that? That's Carl. <laughs> I, I have to tell you that I never built a deck before or a pergola. So I just, there's a million great websites that you can look at for inspiration. So I go online, look at Pinterest, Houz, H-O-U-Z-Z, and just get ideas. In, in this last case, the, the deck is curved because our yard is curved. It would have looked kind of weird to have a square deck or a square deck with a curved yard. So it matches the flow of our yard. But I guess if you were to ask me what the number one error I've made in the past is jumping into these things too quickly. I think the work is probably, I don't want to say easy because it's still labor intensive. We're carrying around 80 bags of concrete and and all that, learning how to frame and attach this thing to the house and doing all these all these tasks. But the most important thing and what we try to focus on now is letting these ideas simmer before we pull the trigger. So we come up with with good ideas and live in the space for a little while too. So you know what works and doesn't work. And that's especially important for something like a kitchen or maybe a master bath that you're going to reconfigure. If you live in it for six months, you might come up with ideas that you would not have had you just jumped into it. Mindy, it sounds like some of these rules that you guys have made this patience maybe is from having undergone some nightmares in the past. Tell me about some of the biggest kind of pains when you first started doing this. Did you have any really bad outcomes? Oh, physical pain or mental pain. No, I'm just kidding. You said Mindy. Yeah, no, the tarp story <laughs> in the Wisconsin Oh my goodness. The Wisconsin house. This was such a disaster. So we bought a house. We were going to add a second story to it. This was our first experience adding a second story to it. Lesson number one, don't just go with the cheapest guy, which should be totally clear, but it never is. We went with the cheapest guy. They ripped off the brand new roof and started to build up. They had a plywood roof over the house They put a tarp over that for the weekend. We had two 500-year storms Hmm. on Friday and Saturday, and we just watched on this website called Wonderground. We watched these like purple clouds coming across. It was pitch black. We had a four-month-old baby. There was one spot in the house where there wasn't water coming in through the ceiling, so we put her in the middle of the bed that wasn't getting soaking wet. And then just ran around the house like the light fixtures were raining. It it was raining through the light Mm -hmm. fixture. And just like, it was so soul crushing. And we couldn't get in touch with them. I mean, I don't know what they would have done. They weren't in town. They were, you know, a half an hour away. And would they come back and put tarps on at two o'clock in the morning? Like, there was no good fix for that. And this was 2007. So I don't know if the... The forecasting was as good then it is is now, but that was just horrible. It's an important point because if you're going to do this live and flip thing over and over again, you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that sometimes things are just going to go horribly wrong. Sometimes things really suck. I mean, you're living in a construction zone. It's dirty. It's dusty. It's dangerous. There's nails sticking out and there's tools all over the place. And, you know, it can be soul crushing is like the best way to describe it. You're, you're going along and there's like a problem. Oh, okay. No worries. And then you're going along and there's another problem and you're like, Oh, okay. No worries. And then there's another problem. You're like, really? 
And then, <laughs> then, you know, cast iron outflow pipes rot from the inside out. And one day all your sewage is flowing nicely along this pipe. And the next day it's in the basement and you're like, oh, I was really hoping I could clean that up. So there are some things that really, really are hard to deal with. However, let me point you back to that $100,000 check that I paid $0 in capital gains taxes on when I sold that house. So yeah, I remember the pain of adding a second story. We've done it twice. I think we'll never do it again. And I'm okay with never doing it again. But it was fun when we did it. Yeah, I remember the box of poop in the basement from that <laughs> cast iron pipe too. And trying to, it was like the game operation where you're trying to remove the bone or whatever. We were trying to get a box that was like three feet by two feet from an opening that was like three feet, two inches by two feet, two inches. Uh, <laughs> it's funny in retrospect, kind of. I guess it's still a little painful. Maybe it's too soon yet. It was an 18 gallon plastic tote and it was filled with the things that used to be in the pipe. And we had to get that out of the crawl space and up into the garbage can. Oh, that was a bad, bad time. I want to throw up. Speaking of these type of problems, certainly when it comes to sewage, that's like immediately something I will not touch and would call to get help with. Carl, how do you decide when a job is too big or too specialized? Like, how do you know when you can't do this and you need to bring someone in? I have two answers to that. The first one I'd say is we try to look for jobs that I can do most of the work on. So for example, with this current house, there aren't going to be any structural changes to the house. We're not doing in addition, like Mindy said, we're done with uh, pop the top two-story additions. So I, I try to find a home that's all within my skill level. But even within that, like for example, this house, I don't want to do drywall. It would take me too long and it's not expensive. But finishing work like tile, trim, electrical and plumbing, that stuff can be very expensive. And it's not that bad to do once you once you educate yourself. So I try to pick a house within my skill level and then I try to do as much of it I can myself. I also try to find houses that will give us a new challenge. Once, I, once I've done something, it's kind of boring. So we built this deck in Pergola at the house. And that was a lot of fun, but it wouldn't be nearly as much fun the second time because I've been there and done that. Can you really figure out how to do, especially most finishing type projects on YouTube? I mean, is there anything you can't learn from YouTube nowadays? I can't think of a thing that you can't learn from YouTube. Maybe self-brain surgery? I don't know. (laughs) I would say if you had some really unique problem with a house, like if your house was old and had knob and tube wiring or electrical or aluminum wiring, which causes house fires. They used to use that in the seventies. Those two things are hazardous, but most of the finishing stuff like drywall, basic electricity, plumbing, tile work is a great thing because you'll pay a lot of money for that, but all the cost is in the labor. It's not the material. So tile is a job I love to do. But yeah, YouTube is great for just about anything. Our washing machine breaks, I hit up YouTube and poof, there's some guy with the exact same model who was kind enough to publish a video. I'm trying to think of, yeah, if you had like some kind of foundation issue maybe, but man, none of it isn't that hard. It's just taking your time and having the courage, the gumption to overcome your fear and just get your hands a little bit dirty. I always tell people, all my 
all my friends were computer programmers too. And they're always like, oh, I can never do what you do. I'm like, wow, you're as a computer programmer. My, my day job was a lot more difficult than any of this stuff. It requires patience and you have to be in a different mindset, but it's not that bad. Mindy, I want to transition at this point. You guys are part of the financial independence community. Talk to me about how Live and Flips have affected your overall financial trajectory. How much of a role has this played in your financial independence path? Ooh, that's a good question. We have made a lot of money with Live and Flips, and we put down. 20% when we buy a house. So all the money that we make from the live-in flip, we put into the stock market where it grows. I don't know if you know this, hot stock tip, index funds. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one before. <laughs> oh man, I thought I was going to be giving you some new advice. So the the money that we make has just gone into the stock market, right? Yeah. The one thing I'll say to build on that is we've probably, after these last two houses, we'll, we'll be over a million dollars in cash profits, like after tax, because there are no taxes, profits from these live and flips. Granted, like, like I said before, we've given up some TV time, but it's uh, the thing I really like about a live and flip. And what I would tell people, the main reason to do this is the lack of risk. If you want to own a house anyway, you're going to buy a house. You're just going to buy an uglier one and fix it up in the two years or however long you want to stay there for. Let's say the stock market takes a huge dump or you, you're working 80 to hundred dollars a week because you're a corporate attorney or, or a physician. And then you could just continue to live in the home and fix it up at your leisure. It's not like buying it. I think there's very little risk to it. If you want to own a house, you're just living in a house. There's probably, it's probably less risky because you got the house for cheaper because no one wants the home with the pink toilets and blue bathtubs. I want to underline what you just said there, just to make sure people heard that. That's a million dollars in profit over their last two live-in flips, as well as they had a place to live. Yeah, I'd uh, say that's all of them, not just the last two, just to be clear. It. After these last two are done, it'll be a million dollars. And some of that is due to appreciation too, but most of it is due to the work we did on the homes. Mindy, one of the great things about your guys' blog, 1500 Days, is you show the trajectory of getting to financial independence. Now, you both were financially independent before you decided on this last live and flip. You also still have a job. Why do it again? Like you've, you're already there. You have enough money. You guys are doing well. You have a job you love, so you're still bringing in revenue. Why keep doing the live and flips? Wow. I didn't think you were going to ask me a hard hitting question. I don't know the answer to this question. Why do it? I like to do it. It's a, it's an enjoyable process. I'm so excited for this particular house to be finished because the idea that we have is a really cool house. With regards to why we moved, we lived on a street that was a dead end street that had very few children. And we have two children and there was really nobody for them to play with. And the neighborhood that we moved into, we were looking at two different neighborhoods and the neighborhood we moved into has children already, but they also have like $600,000 houses. And I don't want to spend that much money on a house. So we bought this house. It was smoke infested. 
I think they spent the last 40 years smoking three or four packs a day. It was horrible. It had a pool in an area of the world where pools aren't the norm. And it was just ugly. So three strikes against it. Nobody wants to come and fix it up because of the pool. Nobody wants to buy it and be a landlord because of the pool and all the liabilities. So it just seemed like a fun house that we could make better. And I'm doing most of the work on it. Mindy has a job and I'm not working. If I did have a full-time job, we wouldn't have taken this on. I've been there, done that, and that was a mistake, especially with children. But And I also wouldn't have done it if I didn't, like Mindy said, genuinely enjoy the process and the work. I think it's awesome to to build stuff. I like to build software. I like to build things out of two by four. So it's very, very rewarding to, at the end of the day, to look at this space that might might have looked different two weeks ago. And now you've got this beautiful tile in there. You've redone the shower and you've made this ugly thing beautiful. I, I find it very rewarding. I've heard this over and over again in people who have had multiple experiences with flips, live-in or otherwise, but there's a gratification to beautifying the neighborhood, to taking something that was beat up and making it pretty. It certainly sounds like, Mindy, you have a little of that aspect, that even besides the money, there's this idea of taking something broken and fixing it. Yes. Yes. I do very much enjoy the the process, but you know, don't discount the money factor because this particular house we bought for $365 and it's in kind of a cookie cutter neighborhood. The exact same model around the corner sold for $600,000 five months before we bought this one. So there's already a lot of potential just based on that past sale. And ours is going to be better because it's ours. So And Carl, do you see yourself repeating this process in the future? Like, are you looking at this one going, okay, this is it, I'm done. Or do you think there'll be more in your, in your future? Yeah. So, so three houses ago, I said, we're never doing this again. (laughs) Bought this really nice house. And then right after that, we bought this dump that was infested with ants. Rodent infestations are a common um, theme of this and mice and a bunch of other stuff. So we bought that one for 176,000. So that was a fixer upper. This one's a fixer upper. So yeah, I can definitely see us continuing to do things like this just because you often get such a, a discount and I'm still a pretty cheap guy. If I can come in there and take out those ugly toilets and that yellow tile from the 70s and put in something nice, I'll certainly do it. Yeah, so never say never, although we probably wouldn't do it on the same scale that we have in the past. It would be more for enjoyment than money at this point. I completely agree with that. and. We want to, when we sell this house after the girls graduate from high school, which is the little ones in fifth grade, so we've got a while. But when we sell this house, we want to buy a house in the mountains because we like to ski. We want to buy a house near a beach because we like the beach too. And I'm totally fine buying a dumpy beach house because they're less expensive than a nice beach house. And then I can customize it. I can have the cabinets that I love instead of the cabinets that... I'm okay with. I can have the flooring that I love instead of dealing with whatever is there, which sounds so snotty when you say it like that. But but when I get to that point, like I can have what I want to have. I don't want to pay for something that somebody else has made for me. I want to do it myself and get that discount because yeah, we're still pretty cheap. Yeah. It doesn't sound snotty when you're doing it yourself. 
So when you're actually getting on your hands and knees and putting that tile or that hardwood in, uh, it sounds a lot less snotty. Carl, these are strange times for lots of reasons. They're economically strange times, but certainly you didn't imagine when you bought this live-in flip that all of a sudden the whole family would be stuck at home because of COVID. How has that changed your work and fixing up the house? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, It is. uh, So when I, let's see, we ordered all the deck stuff right around the time COVID happened. On one hand, I'm thankful because the price of building materials shot up like crazy. But on the other hand, I had a new full-time job and that was being a, a teacher. So it's definitely put a monkey wrench in my in my work. My idea was, hey, I'll get the girls involved, see if they want to do any of this. And uh, surprise, surprise, they have no interest in <laughs> much of anything. So it's definitely, uh, it's a setback. And it's probably too strong to say we wouldn't have done this if we knew this was going to happen, but it's almost to that point because there just isn't time to work on it. And now we're living in a kind of a semi-permanent construction zone. It's picked up a little bit. School's going back now. So hopefully we're going to make some more progress, but we're probably six months to a year behind of where I had planned to be. Otherwise I wanted to have the whole thing done this spring and I won't have it done for probably another year after that. So the kitchen will have to wait. Sorry, Ikea, the bathroom will have to wait. Sorry, we don't have a working shower up there. We're living with nasty carpets and dust everywhere. What else is wrong with this house? I don't know. It's those stupid squeaky stairs. Yeah, our stairs squeak. I think it's haunted. No, it's not. It's not haunted. (laughs) But yeah, it's, uh, it's made things a little bit more difficult. On the plus side, it is a bigger house than what we lived in before. So that makes it a little bit easier to handle, but yeah, being around all the time in a construction zone is tedious. It would have been more pleasant to be in our previous home, which was all done from our last flip. But I, if I saw him complaining, I, I'm a jerk cause uh, we're still very fortunate and I'm thankful to have found this house and it'll all be over in a short amount of time. Well, maybe not COVID go away. Where's the vaccine doctor? <laughs> In the first half of the show, Carl and Mindy talk about their most recent live-in flip. After the break, we discuss flipping in a time of COVID. But first, this episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you been enjoying listening on Mondays and Thursdays to the Earn and Invest podcast? Well, there is a place where you can go and continue the conversation 
all days of the week, 24-7. I'm talking about the Earn and Invest Facebook group. That is at facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. That is a place where we come together as a community and discuss whatever's going on in the world on that day, whether it be business, politics, the economy, whatever's happening, we're there talking about it. Come join our Earn and Invest community on Facebook. We can't wait to see you there. That's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. Mindy, I'm looking at your nice home podcasting studio there and imagining you doing an interview for Bigger Pockets and having Carl in the background jackhammering and, and making all sorts of noise may not be the easiest for you to work in that kind of atmosphere. Yes, I tell him when I'm recording, no work being done at this time. I'm recording. And then, of course, the neighbor will have some big pile of rocks delivered or something. I'm like, really? I hear you. This time? I definitely hear you on that. So let's look more broadly here, Carl. For the people listening right now, what sort of personality is this type of project good for? What kind of people do well with, with Live and Flips? I would say you either have to enjoy the work or you have to have access to really good, reliable and affordable contractors, which in my experience, I think they're like, uh, they're rarer than Santa Claus and the Easter bunny, uh, <laughs> because I have yet to find them. They, they don't show up. And every other horror story you've heard, we have been through. Tenacious people who have the ability to follow through. If you are a procrastinator, this is not the best choice for you. And you have to be enjoy the real estate. You have to enjoy the hunt. I think this house took us about two years to find. We weren't be, we weren't willing to pull the trigger on an okay deal. We wanted it to be a slam dunk. And when we saw this house and when we got it for what we did, we knew like no no regrets. There was no doubt. But that was only because we had studied the market for years and looked at every single house in this neighborhood that everyone on the market. So we knew right away within like two minutes of looking at the house, we could tell at what price we needed to get it at for it to be a good deal. So you have to be willing to, to enjoy that process. I think, cause if not, it's just work and you should work at something that'll pay you that you actually enjoy. I noticed that you've got to be patient and be willing to pivot. Carl, I was watching your YouTube video of the 33-hour bathroom remodel you did, and you got to a point where you were pulling off the wallpaper and there was adhesive there. And something that you probably thought was going to take an hour or two, seven hours later, you were still trying to get that adhesive off so that you could paint. Certainly things don't always go to plan. Yeah, I hope you didn't see my butt crack in that video. I think it was in there for a second or two. But anyway, yeah, flexibility, kind of the, the whole the whole superpower of fire, too. If something goes wrong, you're going to, once you start tearing into an old house, things are going to go bad. I'm trying to think of some specific examples of things we've had go wrong. But yeah, things will go wrong, and you have to be willing to roll with that and maybe change your idea mid-design or change your timelines mid-design where we have here. So if you've got kids, proceed with caution, especially in the age of COVID. But yeah, be flexible. Yeah. The the crack shot I must have blocked out. Maybe it was so traumatic that I don't even remember it, but maybe maybe that's for the best. Repressed memory, sure. <laughs> Mindy, I'm sure people all the time come to you and say, hey, how can I do this? I love what you've done. Is there any specific personality type where you're like, you should not do this. Just step away, <laughs> find a different side hustle. This is not for you. Somebody who's high maintenance. If you don't like dirt, this is not the thing for you. 
And if you have to stick to a schedule all the time, that is not the best personality to try and do this because like Carl said, things change. Things happen where your contractor doesn't show up. If you have one that you've hired, your part doesn't come in. You think you're going to order, you know, a flux capacitor, but it doesn't come in until six months from now because there's been a big run on them or whatever. So you have to change your, your plans. And yeah, if you can't be flexible, if you don't like a mess, this is not the best way for you to invest. There are other ways. Carl, you mentioned that you took a number of years to decide on this recent property that you bought and are working on. What sort of properties lend well to the live-in flip? The properties that lend well are ones that have issues that you personally can deal with. And I think for most people, those will be cosmetic issues. It'll be houses with all the ugly flooring. It'll be houses that have maybe an orange wall from the from the early 80s. We've been through the pink and blue toilets, maybe minor electrical work. This house had no overhead lighting, so it felt like we were living in a big cave. So I've put in a bunch of lighting. So it's cosmetic issues. If the foundation is falling apart, you're probably not going to be able to do that yourself. So unless you have a very clear idea and a very clear resource of a way to fix that, and you know exactly what's going to go into that, I would steer clear of that. So you pick houses that are within your skill set and you can know, and that you know exactly how much it's going to cost. I know how much tile costs per square foot and how long it's going to take me. I know how to do all the electrical and plumbing things. So I find things within my wheelhouse, or if I knew a reliable contractor that could do that, I would find houses within that. We also, on a broader note, there's two other things I want to say about this. We like to look for cities that are on the upswing, like the whole city is gentrifying. And that's what we have here in Longmont. People used to call Longmont, Methmont, and all these other derogatory names, some of which are probably foul. So I will not say them on this PG rated podcast. So, but we could see that that people were putting money into the city. The main street was coming up, the pawn shops were going away. And that continues to happen to this day. So I know, even if for some reason I bungled this, that we would still make money. I also like to look for desirable neighborhoods, usually from like the eighties. This house we built, we found now was built in 79 because they're going to be old enough to have lots of cosmetic issues, especially if they were owned by the original owners, which this one was, but they're going to be young enough where they won't have some of the other issues, like maybe asbestos. Asbestos came to an end in the early eighties, maybe the aluminum wiring, the knob and tube, so they're going to be modern enough that they're you'll be able to deal with them, but not old enough that they're crusty. And uh, yeah, just a, in a neighborhood that's desirable and that people want to live in. Yeah, the only thing Longmont has going against it, obviously, is that Mr. Money Mustache Guy lives there. And, you know, with the celebrities, it can be <laughs> kind of hard to live in the same city. <laughs> that does have an effect, actually. Lots of people read his blog and have moved here. One just moved here this past weekend, actually, Nick and his family. Yeah. We moved here because of him, actually. So <laughs> there, there, there you have it. <laughs> so Mindy, you mentioned that you guys probably won't do a second floor again. Are there any other big deal breakers where if you looked at a property said, we're not touching that because of X? I don't buy meth houses. I don't desire a foundation problem. 
So we've never done that before. Despite what Carl says, he wants to learn new tricks. I don't want to learn how to fix a foundation. And let's see. I think those are the only two big ones. Like mold can be remediated. And yes, meth can be remediated, but I don't want to live in a meth house, a former meth house. And let's see, there are some jobs that we won't do. We would hire out, but those I think are the only things that we wouldn't buy a house for. And how do you guys think the outlook for live in flips are going to be over the next decade? What do you think is going to happen to real estate and specifically this flavor? Do you think it'll continue to do well? There are still a lot of really ugly houses out there. There are still a lot of original owners from, you know, the seventies and the eighties who haven't put any money into their house into upgrading it because they like it the way it is, or, you know, that's just how you've always lived. So I think that there's always going to be a market for live-in flips. I'm sure some of the first houses we did are now being redone because they're out of favor from 20 years ago. Where do I think the real estate market is going? This is a really tricky question because on the one hand, we have a pandemic and on the other hand, nobody's selling their houses. So the law of supply and demand says when supply is low, demand or prices go up. So we have rising house prices, especially in Longmont. I'm a real estate agent and I'm making offers for my clients and getting outbid constantly, 20,000 over asking, 50,000 over asking. It's ridiculous how much people are paying for houses. And I don't see that going away fairly soon because if you don't have to sell your house, why would you have people traipsing through who may or may not have COVID? So I think that's why there's not as many houses on the market right now is just because of the pandemic. So people still have to move. The one thing I like about a live and flip is this is a real estate strategy that you can make work anywhere. For example, rentals don't work in a lot of places, including here in Longmont, because what people pay for rent, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. For example, people will pay a house, people will pay almost $400,000 a house and rent it out for under $2,000 a month, which doesn't make sense for the 1% rule. But a live and flip, as long as you can find the house and afford it, you can make that work anywhere. The, the thing that worries me, the main risk of a live and flip, and this actually happened to us, is we bought our big fancy luxury lake home in 2006, at the end of 2006. And guess what happened right after that? The market collapsed and the thing that was hit hard were luxury homes. And they were hit way harder than, than anything else. So that's the main risk, but it's also the power. As I mentioned before, you have to live somewhere. If we buy this thing and the market takes a, a huge dump, we have to live somewhere. We'll just stay in it instead of doing whatever we would have done otherwise. So the main risk is we get stuck in this house a little bit longer. We're not going to lose our shirts over it though. Mindy, if you are part of our audience and you're interested in doing your own live and flip, besides looking at your guys' blog and YouTube channel, where else can you go to learn about this form of, of real estate and real estate investment? Oh, there's this little website called biggerpockets.com. Tiny. They teach you tiny. tiny. They teach you how to invest in real estate. So you're doing it right. There's not a ton of content on live-in flips on the site itself. I'm trying to think, are there any other bloggers who talk about it? I know Chad Carson, is that coachcarson.com, does a lot of renovations in general, and and but that's more rentals. Yeah, I would say bigger pockets is a good place to start any sort of 
flipping information will help you in the live-in flip. It's still a house that's being flipped. And YouTube, University of YouTube. I was about to say, one of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on to talk about this is, in my experience, we talk about live-in flips a lot, and yet I don't feel like there are a lot of people that are actually out there instructing on them. So, Carl, if I am a new live-in flipper, is there one obvious mistake that I am likely to make that I can avoid just by getting your advice right now? I I think the one big mistake would be not doing the research. I think most of the work is finding a good candidate home. So if you overpay for the home to begin with, you're cutting your margin on everything you have to, you're cutting your profit on at the end. So you have to make sure you're getting a good deal to begin with and that the house isn't going to surprise you with any, with any craziness. So just what I would recommend people do is subscribe to the real estate listings in whatever area, whatever town, maybe hone in on a specific area and just go to every single open house there. So you really know the area well. And like I said before, you should be able to tell within a minute or two of seeing a house, what price you should pay for it and what your profit is going to be. So research is everything. If I was going to mention another minor tip, it's, and this is a little bit more involved, but Mindy got her real estate license just to save us on transaction costs. In a lot of places, it costs almost 3% to buy a house and 3% to sell. 6% is significant. If you're dealing with a $500,000 house, that's $30,000. If you have your your real estate license, you might be able to recoup most of that. So, and you could do it online, which is how Mindy did. But that's a whole other can of worms. But something to think about. Have you known anyone else that's done that? Oh yeah, lots of people. Yeah, will get their license to help save on rehab costs or, or purchase costs and and sales costs later. One thing I would say is don't over improve the property for the neighborhood and don't over don't improve it to your specific taste. Look around tagging off of what Carl said, go to all the open houses. Oh, everybody in this whole area has granite countertops. You need to make sure that you are also putting in granite countertops in the fly community. We say, don't keep up with the Joneses, but in the rehab community, you absolutely want to keep up with the Joneses because your property without granite countertops is not going to go for as much as the one with granite countertops. It's certainly not going to sell as fast because for the same price, you get a nicer house with the granite countertops. On the other hand, if everybody has laminate countertops, you're wasting money putting in the granite unless you can get it for super cheap. Same with tile floors, wood floors, you know, just look around and see what people are doing and keep up with them. If, if any of you listening have a house in Hawaii near the beach that you think could be a candidate for a live and flip that also has a guest bedroom, I'd be willing to come over and give you my semi-expert opinion. (laughs) I'm sure we have many, many listeners who have exactly that situation. We are talking live and flips with Carl and Mindy Jensen. What I love about this type of investment is it is a diversified portfolio in one investment. So you have a tax play there you've got an appreciation play. You've got a forced appreciation play. And not only that, but you also live there. So you're cutting down on your living expenses. It clearly has helped you guys build wealth as well as beautify the neighborhoods. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where can we find you if we want to know more? What's going on? 
Ah, well, we had a big day last week. So I mentioned my dad was in the trades and he was an electrician. So my idea was that he would be able to to come help me wire my basement would be the one last job we do together because I probably won't do anything like this. And then what happened? He passed away from from a, a heart issue. So I had to learn all these things that he was trying to teach me his whole life. When I was a kid, he would take me to side jobs. So I had to buy all these books. But the good news is last week we passed, I passed my electrical inspection on the first try. So I'm so happy. So what's next for us is we're going to have our basement finished off probably in the next month or so, which will be great in the age of COVID. We'll have a little home theater and kitchenette down there. So it'll make the house a little bit more livable especially as we all hunker down for the winter for the virus. I expect we'll be inside a lot more and I don't like to be inside, but now that I have to be, I might as well make my spaces as nice as they can be. What's next for me is not that exciting. I'm just going to continue on. My kids are going back to school. I am cautiously optimistic that this is going to be a good experience and I'm just going to continue working at bigger pockets and teaching people how to invest in real estate so they don't break any laws or hopefully don't lose money. And if people want to know more about you or interact with you, ask questions about live and flips, how can they reach you? On social media, everything but TikTok, I am at Mindy at BP. So M-I-N-D-Y-A-T-B-P, or you can email me Mindy at biggerpockets.com. I want to say, I really do love talking about this stuff. I've actually had people send me pictures or movies of their home and ask for advice. And I love to do that. And I'm not kidding about the Hawaii. <laughs> I'll come build your deck. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I'm hijacking the podcast. If you want to reach me, 1500 days, just the number 1500days.com is my website. Yeah, hit me up there. Let's talk about your project, especially if you have a beach house. Yeah, I'd really suggest going to the website as well as the YouTube channel. Carl and Mindy have done some beautiful work on their houses. Not only do you get to see how they did some of these things, but you also get to see the amazing things they've created and produced. It's really fun to go over there and watch. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Carl and Mindy Jensen. That's a wrap. Thank you. Hey everybody, one of the best ways for me to interact with you, part of this community, is when you send me emails and ask questions. And it is my pleasure to bring up one of those emails today that came from a listener named KM. I'm reading. Hi Doc G, absolutely love the podcast and really appreciate all the hard work you put into making this happen. I need some help and I'm guessing there are other people out there that might be in this situation. I'm from Canada, and my husband is from India originally. My husband's parents and most of his family still live in India, where the custom when it comes to financially supporting your parents is different from Western culture. It seems to be the case across most Asian cultures where when your parents are older, you're expected to financially support them. My in-laws worked for the government and have retired with a pension and paid-off house, but still expect money every month from my husband and his brother. Even though they receive money every month for the last 15 years now, they spend it as soon as they receive it and then ask for large amounts of money at least twice a year for non-budgeted things that come up. Meanwhile, they are buying new TVs, kitchen appliances, gifts for people, and on and on. As my husband and I are on our way to the financial independence path, this is quite frustrating for both of us. My husband has tried to talk to them about their spending many times, but it seems they think we are some endless money tree and don't take the issue seriously. 
I don't know what we should do. I don't want to end up resenting my in-laws for spending all our money on things they don't need when we are working so hard to achieve financial independence, but I'm trying to be respectful of his different culture. I know this is the case in Asian cultures and suspect it's common in other places around the world. What do others do in this situation without causing a rift in the family and without having to bankroll our parents' lifestyle? Well, KM, you know, this brings up a lot of interesting questions. I think first and foremost, your relationship with your spouse is essential. And before you can make any decisions, you really have to talk to your spouse and really come to an understanding of what you as a couple what you as a couple are willing to do for either of your in-laws and what the role of your wealth and your money plays in their lives. This is a difficult conversation. As you said, it spans culture. It also spans upbringing and it spans expectations. The most important thing is your in your relationship is the ability for you both to get along. So first and foremost, it's a conversation you have to start with your spouse Talk about what's important for them, what's important for you, and use that as a jumping off point. Now, I think when we're talking about those of us who are interested in financial independence or anyone who has concerns about supporting family members, the real decision is for you to first budget what you need for yourself for your plans and your future. What that means is if you have certain goals for your family economy, maybe if you have kids, you're worried about eventual college expenses. Maybe if you want to retire early, you're working on building up enough of a portfolio to have passive income. Maybe you're thinking of buying a rental property. The point is you need to set forward your own goals first and budget for those And then I think you have to add in what money you give to your in-laws as part of that budget. So, you know, the old saying that you have to put on your own oxygen mask while in the plane before you put on the oxygen mask of your children. Well, the same goes here. You really have to figure out your own finances and your own budget. You have to really fulfill your own wants and needs before you can then move on to your in-laws. I think if you look at it in that manner... You can start thinking about how do you reach your own goals and what then is left over. It's a difficult conversation. And again, the bigger question, I guess, comes down to culture. What do your guys' cultures tell you about the importance of your needs versus your in-laws or parents' needs? Do your needs come first or do your in-laws or parents' It's hard when we're talking about ourselves. It's much easier if we're balancing that against, for instance, the needs of our children. So most parents would say, well, the needs of my children come first and the needs of my in-laws come second, but we're not as kind when we come to ourselves. I think we have to change that. I think we have to learn how to be kind to ourselves. I think we have to reach our own financial goals before we can help others, in this case your in-laws, reach their financial goals. Not an easy conversation. I definitely think there are many people in our community in general who are facing this because this idea of supporting your family members spans all sorts of different races and cultures. And I think it is specifically a difficulty for people who are interested in financial independence. We always like to talk about the fact how anyone could get to financial independence. It's really easy to say that, 
for someone who comes from a middle-class family who doesn't have family concerns. On the other hand, if you come from either an immigrant family or you come from a family that didn't grow up with as much money, you might not only have to manage your wealth and your future plans, but also factor in quite a bit of money for your family members' needs, an uncle, a cousin, a parent, All of them might need money for college, for living, for food, and you have to decide how important it is for you to factor those things into your budget. I don't believe these problems are insurmountable, but they take a lot of communication, a lot of conversation, and then, again, you have to make it part of a normal part of your budget and then plan around it. Because ultimately... We want you to be able to fulfill your responsibilities as a child. And some of those responsibilities in your culture or in your spouse's culture might be providing money for the older generations. And there's nothing per se wrong with that. The question is how to make that situation livable. Often that means maybe giving less. So you might not be completely happy because you're still giving, but you're in-laws might be not 100% happy because they're not getting as much as they used to. These are the kind of decisions that need to be made but are necessary because ultimately if you don't reach your own financial goals, if you're not building towards this financial independence goal which means so much to you, you'll ultimately become bitter. And that's no way to feel towards family members and it's no way to build your financial future. Good luck, Cam. I hope it goes well. Awesome. Woo, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for having us. Yeah, no, that was great. And again, I don't hear a lot of talk about Live and Flip. So that was why I wanted to do this. I couldn't think of anyone better than you guys to do this with. Um, So yeah, it's a great conversation. And one I, I just don't hear as much as maybe we should. Yeah, I've got so much. We've got so much YouTube video footage, so we have to release a new video. But I've got like three or four in the cooker that hopefully will be out before the end of the year. And one of them, we get into a big fight, which is great. We had our <laughs> we had our older daughter filming it, and then we started yelling at each other. Let me tell you, it was over the deck trying to bend a piece of deck material. And so after the fight, I'm like, Claire, you recorded that, right? She's like, yeah, Dad, I, I never hit stop. I'm like, yes. <laughs> This will be great YouTube fodder. I'll probably speed it up so we sound like chipmunks yelling at each other. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are pretty darn funny, actually, on your videos. Um, I enjoyed, believe it or not. uh, So, yes, I loved the whole episode with with the stuff you found in the ceiling. But I actually really like the singing toilet. Mindy, you 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 doing this nobody knows as the singing toilet was priceless. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for watching. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. And want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, 
I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.